Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. This was just released on September 22nd, 2020. And is the first book in the Wedgford Trials series. And before we start, we just want to acknowledge that we did get a complimentary advanced reader copy of this book. Um, we were extremely excited to receive it, so we're really excited to uh, record this episode. So our, our opinions are our own and are very honest. We do not let receiving complimentary copies affect our opinion. That said, we really love this book, you guys. <laughs> like, this is about to just be gush central over here. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, take that as a warning, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, here's the jacket. Miss Chloe Fong has plans for her life, lists for her days, and absolutely no time for nonsense. Three years ago, she told her childhood sweetheart that he could talk to her once he planned to be serious. He disappeared that very night. Except now he's back. Jeremy Wentworth, the Duke of Lansing has returned to the tiny village he once visited with the hope of wooing Chloe. In his defense, it took him years of attempting to be serious to realize that the endeavor was incompatible with his personality. All he has to do is convince Chloe to make room for a mischievous trickster in her life, then disclose that in all the years they've known each other, he's failed to mention his real name, his title, and the minor fact that he owns her entire village. Only one thing can go wrong everything i am disappointed in this jacket oh yes why is that it doesn't mention anything about them being chinese english mm -hmm. it doesn't mention anything about the ethnic composition of wedgford or the wedgford trials mm -hmm. it doesn't mention anything about her and her father and their business mm -hmm. enterprise mm -hmm. i think like what really makes this book great isn't conveyed in the jacket at all yeah. So if you read the jacket, I was I would say that you probably would think that this was like a typical historical, which on the one hand is fine. Like, I don't mind a typical historical, obviously. <laughs> like, I have a podcast with my friend Lane. At this point, we have literally reviewed over 100 of them. So. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with it, but it's that's not what makes this one unique. I think the way that. First of all, he is a, a duke, obviously. She's a peasant, I, I guess. Oh, yes. What was the class back then? Like, she's not even, she's in no way, shape, or form society. No. She, she is I mean, a village father, girl from, yeah. like, this little town. And since she arrived in England, she has gone to Ar London to run errands. Yeah, her father so, is a chef. Right, like, this is not someone who's ever been to a house party. Right. So I think usually even when we feel like we're refreshing, oh, this isn't a book about two aristocrats, it's still a woman who is, like, of polite society, vicar's daughter or governess or... Yeah. And this is truly someone who has no interest or knowledge of society. So I think that makes this very distinctive. Yes. Obviously, the fact he's um, half... British, half Chinese. Mm -hmm. She's fully Chinese. And, and I mean, ethnically, because she is she is a British citizen. Because ethnically, correct. Like both yes. of her parents were Chinese, and by ethnicity is and from China. I just mean like she's not 
of mixed race like him. So, and she lives in this town that is effectively a thriving immigrant community, primarily populated by immigrants from Asia, specifically China. But it seems like there might be some other Asian countries represented as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and I think also um, other countries, um, colonized countries as well, are there. I think they specifically mention like um, Jamaica, like some of the Caribbean, yeah, the West Indies, um, right, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're specifically mentioned, there's about five languages spoken regularly in this town other than English, and all of the languages that are mentioned by name are Asian or Southeast Asian. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, this thriving immigrant community makes this a very different historical romance than I've ever read before. Yes. The fact that it entire the whole book takes place in this immigrant community, with the exception of a notable scene at an inn. Mm-hmm. Get there. And I think the other thing is she's not just a woman with an occupation or an interest. Like, she's a woman who has literally spent her entire life trying to elevate her and her father from what we would call paycheck to paycheck nowadays. Yeah. To successful, especially because of the way in which they came to England, which we'll talk about. So I just think all of that is, I don't think I've ever read anything like that in a romance novel before. And we will get to tropes. This book has plenty of them. But yeah. the core of this book, I felt like was so unique that it's yes. really disappointing to not see that reflected in the jacket at all. Yeah. On the other hand, I, I kind of get it. Like I kind of, I, I am wondering if the jacket was written this way to entice people who read typical historicals and get them to read this book that's that they might not have picked up i i don't know if that also yeah helps support the point that's made in the book that like the question where do you really come from isn't just impolite it's irrelevant yes and by not dwelling on the immigrant experience in the jacket i get why you're supporting that line of thinking it's just that as somebody who loved the depiction of the immigrant experience yes. in this book, I I would see that on a jacket and want to read the book. Yeah. So for somebody like me who was in browsing a bookshelf, the fact that that wasn't mentioned here might mean they gloss over it because they don't see anything different than what they've read before other than the heroine's name. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it could be argued both ways. I don't feel like the book jacket is a great representation of what we liked about the book. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of our discussion of the 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 cartoon covers that we're seeing nowadays, right? That kind of get you to they're getting, I think, a different kind of reader to read um, a romance. If you look at the Kiss Quotient, or if you look at Bringing Down the Duke, mm-hmm. that's going to get someone who's interested more in like a like regular chiclet or regular women's fiction to read the book rather than someone who sees a clinch cover and they're like, oh yeah, that's what I want. Right. And again, I don't know if it's good or if it's bad. But I don't feel like this jacket breaks the mold in terms of romance novel jackets in general. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a self-published. The cover is pretty romance novel-y. The format and the formula of the jacket Mm -hmm. isn't particularly different from any romance novel I've ever read. It doesn't seem like chiclet. Right, right. So no, if you're trying uh, to attract I, I a chiclet agree. audience with a jacket, I feel like you should have gone further 
Well, I think what I'm trying to say is I think she's trying to attract the the audience who would read um, The Truth About Love and Dukes, mm. but who might not read This is the Immigrant Experience in, in England. You know, right. who might not read White Teeth by Sadie Smith, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there. Okay. So as usual, we attempted to write our own summary of the book using a random number that we generate. And this week, the random number was 25. So here's mine. Chloe's first love is back, and he's asking for her help. Unfortunately, the specific help he wants is her help in choosing his future wife. Yeah, that's that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. And it, that's it's so very much, you know, it's very much one of those romance tropes that are kind of fun. <laughs> this happens so many times in this book where, like, they'll talk about their ideal, but they're talking about each other. I loved it. So cute. All right, what's yours? Chloe vows revenge on the assholes who put it off of and abandoned her father. So a poor little rich boy turned man is a complication. Fair. <laughs> I mean, look, he, he, the tropes here, he's her childhood sweetheart who left and he's now back. And he was living under an assumed identity when she knew him. Yeah. Yes, which... It, I, I loved it. I loved it. Oh my god! I loved everything about this book <laughs> so much. I, seriously, um, he's a- absent without explaining why. Right. So the book jacket says this: the premise of this town's existence, Wedgford and the Wedgford trials, is that it's a tiny little town of like 250 re- residents, 360 days a year, but five days a year it becomes this epicenter where. It, quadruples, quintuples in size for this thing called The Trials, which is basically like a town-wide game that even outsiders have gotten involved in. But there's street markets and the sort of things you typically associate with big local Mm -hmm. events um, that drive commerce in the town, especially. And so as a young boy, Jeremy showed up in this town one day using a fake name with no guardians and was just accepted into the town. Mm-hmm. which as a half Chinese dupe, I think part of the appeal, he says specifically part of the appeal of the town for him was that it was so obviously a cultural melting pot. Yeah. And so he only came every year for the trials. And then three years ago, he stopped showing up. Yes. So while he has this romantic interlude with her, she tells him to be serious. And then he was gone the next day. She expected that he always left after the trials. The shock was that he stopped coming back. Yeah, he, she hasn't seen him in three years. so. And she has been, oh, I don't know, a little bit upset about that? Yeah, I mean, I wonder why. Seriously. Yeah. So then there's this, there's another trope that we see in a lot of novels, which is the, the social class differences. Yes. Right? So he's super rich Duke. She's, as Lane said, she's a peasant, I guess. Uh, no, I mean, we, we have seen, I've, we've actually seen, or I don't know if Lane has seen this, but uh, Elizabeth Hoyt does this a lot, where she has the, you know, the the big class class difference, right? Like one of her books, um, Duke of Sin, the it's a duke and his housekeeper, right? Yeah. <laughs> Another but one. The housekeeper yeah. is someone tangentially tied to society. Yeah. yeah. There's, so there's another one, Duke of Pleasure, <laughs> which is a duke. And, like, um, a street rat. 
Well, I guess the fourth Spindle Cove book was a duke and a, like, peasant. Peasant. Serving but given that Spindle Cove is a retreat for well-to-do people, yeah. like, it still felt like the town itself was emblematic of high society. Yeah. Or, at the um, very least, a respite from high society. Wedgford has nothing to do with high society. The whole town is owned by a duke. They are all, for lack of a better word, and because I don't understand the intricacies, serfs of the duke. Yeah. But the, I think the big difference in this book, well, it's not a big difference because we do see this in other books too, where it's a duke in disguise and, you know, where there's the, the, the heiress in disguise. They don't want you to know that they're really rich because they, they're afraid that they're going to get preyed on right. or treated differently. Um, so that's, that's something I think we do see it in, in many novels. It is a trope. It's a historical romance trope and it is present here, but with its own spin, which I, yeah. which I love. But the difference that you don't see in as many is the culture clash. Yes, exactly. And I love the way this was depicted. Like, yes, because they're in England, the commonest language spoken is English. But the language that Chloe speaks to her father in is different than the common language shared between Jeremy and Chloe's father. Mm-hmm. Because everyone has a different degree of fluency in different tongues because based on where they came up, when they came over, all of those factors. And I think that's not something I've been countered off to in a romance novel. In a romance novel, no, yeah, I would say. Nope. I mean, the only one I can think of that compares possibly is uh, My Beautiful Enemy. That doesn't count as a romance novel. <laughs> okay. Okay, here's a trope we do there see. There is no sex in it. Okay, so here's one we do see in a lot of novels. She's uptight and he's laid back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, so we just saw this in um, Mind Till Midnight. Yep. So they both sort of have family secrets. Yes. His is who he is and who his family is. She has been raised by uh, her father. Her mother died before she was born. Nope, her mother did not die before she was born. Her mother died shortly after she was born. <laughs> it was a miraculous yeah. birth. And the stories her father tells them about China and her parentage are very vague, and she knows there's more to it. Yeah. So he was raised by an aunt. Yes. Who showed him the ropes of society. Yes. Um, I mean, he was raised by his aunt from the age of 13, I believe. 11, I thought. Okay. Um, basically, the age where he got to go to Eden. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so really, was he raised by his aunt? Uh, he was sent to school by his aunt in Britain. But she's been the one for the last 13 years overseeing his existence. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and why is he the Duke, Lane? Was he expected to become the Duke? Um, tragic and distant line of inheritance. So he was the third son of a fourth son. Mm-hmm. And then no, he wasn't the third son of the fourth son. His father was the third son of a fourth son. Yes, sorry. His father was the third son of a fourth son, so he never should have inherited. But a series of very traumatic accidents resulted in him becoming the Duke, which is relevant because, one, while these lines of inheritance are often hilarious in the romance novel, his dad really thought he could get away with running off to China, taking a Chinese wife, and sort of being the black sheep. Right. And so now he's got this 
mixed race child who he's predeceased significantly, which is why his sister took on the guardianship of this kid in England. Mm-hmm. Jeremy's mother is not dead. She is alive well and they have a great relationship, but she's kind of like, fuck England. What do I want with that place? Yeah, basically. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to be a dowager duchess. <laughs> Correct. <that> <laughs> um, so they also, this is very typical. She strikes a deal for a kiss. Yeah. They negotiate the term. They do. Ugh, I love it. Oh, yeah. And I mentioned this in my um, 25 word summary, but you know, how the person that you need to help you find your wife is either your crush or your current wife. Yes. Because how many, how many times are you already married to the woman you want to be with, but she wants a divorce? One I can think of off the top of my head. I'm thinking of, I can think of two off the top of my head. So. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, obviously, the woman that you want to woo, the way to woo her is by convincing her that actually you want to marry someone else. Or that you are on the marriage market and being unclear about who your target is. I think that because I can, I actually kind of hate that trope a lot, but I thought it was, I liked it here because he wasn't trying to hide anything. Right. It was, he was being not forthcoming. Yeah. But he in no way, shape, or form was saying he wanted someone else. No. So I think it works very well here. And you, you sh- you're relying sort of on her denial. Yes. Oh, yeah. For, for the con- self-denial. Completely. Completely. Absolutely. Which I much prefer to, like, him pretending he's actually interested in someone else. Yeah. And, like, actually inviting other women to, you know, like, compete Their for house. his hand. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I've seen this a couple of times, like what you think the big secret is and what the big secret presented on the book, book jacket is, is actually no big deal and not the actual conflict. Um, I appreciate this so much. Oh, I loved it, but I've seen it before. Oh, I've seen it before too. And I think I, I honestly think I love it just about every time. Like I really yep. like that reversal of expectations. Yep. Um, and the two I mentioned in my summary, this is a charming, it, the whole premise the book happens during is this charming little local event, mm-hmm. which I can think of the first Hathaway's book when they go to the mop fair. I can yep. think of like, several others we've run where like this charming local custom event ends up being sort of the centerpiece of a big mm-hmm. theme. And he's a poor little rich boy. And the other one I mentioned in my summary is she's out for revenge. Yeah. And then possibly the best trope and the best, deployal of this trope that I've ever seen. Deployal? Deployment? Deployment. Deployment. The best deployment of this trope that I've ever seen. Um, and it's the only one room at the end trope. I died. Meg died. Just, Meg texted just, me about this trope before I even started reading the book. Just take my word for it. It's the... And I love this trope. So this is a trope that Lane and I so already bad. love. And then this is like, let's turn the trope up to 11 and I loved it so much. So much. It's so good. So good. Basically, I, I mean, I just loved this book a lot. I loved the serious side, but I also loved that it was a true... It's, this is a true historical romance. That's what I loved about it. I loved it was that so there were the fun, two too. Like, all the cast of characters, the friends, her dad. Like, it was so fun. Mm-hmm. For being sort of serious at its core in that they both endured very serious hardship Mm -hmm. and did have a lot to work through together 
this is just such a charming book. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But it's it's so it's so readable. Uh, it's so much fun, and it handles these serious issues with such such a deft touch. You know, yes. you don't feel like you're reading a book about issues. No, and actually, I put this in later in my notes. We've read a couple of books that were very informative about experiences I don't know that I've ever been confronted with before mm -hmm. or historical facts I've never been confronted with before. While I feel like I learned a lot reading this, I never felt like it was exposition. Yes. yes and I think a lot of other authors who try to write about like something outside the norm of the average person's understanding mm -hmm. end up feeling like you're, you're reading a book report in the middle of a romance novel. And that mm -hmm. never happened here. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what book you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's actually more um, than one, but... More than one, more than one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I know what you mean. And it's, it's about... It's, it's the difference between... And I'm not saying that this is science fiction. It's, I'm not saying that this is fake. But I'm, what I am saying is it's the difference between, like, good science fiction, where the world building is, like, part of the book, and it's another one where they're like, did you know that this planet has five continents? Yes. And one of them is made up of mountain ranges. That's the <laughs> one we're going to start in now. Yeah. I, I felt like I got all the history I needed to understand the book mm -hmm. and enough to intrigue me to want to go look up more information on my own. Yes. Without feeling like I was having knowledge funneled down my throat when I just wanted to be reading something sexy. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, this book really hit me as well, like in like personal experience. Um, so I am, I, my husband is French uh, and I am a naturalized French citizen. I speak French fluently. Um, when I talk about where I'm from in France, or if I do speak French and I have an accent, they go, oh, where are you from? And I can't just say, oh, I'm, I'm from Montpellier. I can't just say, oh, I'm from France. Because mm -hmm. they go, no, no, where are you really from? And I am a white woman. I can pass as French on the street, you know? Right. So this, this only comes up after we've been in conversation for a while. And I make, a, I make a mistake in French or I have an accent in French. That's when it will come up. But for Chloe and Jeremy, this is like something that they have to go through on a daily basis. Is someone saying, so where are you from? Well, what's interesting is Chloe doesn't. Living in a town that's sort of full of people who look like her. She doesn't have to in Wedgford, yeah. Right, but, and, but Wedgford is most of her life. So I think it's right. interesting. Chloe acknowledges that that would be her reality if she left the bubble of her town. Mm -hmm. Jeremy's dealing with that all the time. So, I, But I think it was, in, like, I, you're correct, but I, I draw that point to say their immigrant experiences were different than and yeah, that was well conveyed without it feeling like a lesson yeah um but it also just felt very real to me when i read that because i was like yep i've been there like that has happened to me so many times and it's so frustrating mm -hmm. you know so and then the same for my husband i mean he's now a u.s citizen and mm -hmm. he told me he like loves it when people say where are you from and he goes oh i'm from from maryland and they're like no and he's like yep that's where I'm from, you know? Yep. So. Jeremy was born to a third son of a fourth son, fourth son of a third son, whatever. 
while his father was traveling to his mother's homeland. They got married there, they stayed there, they had him there. Then some of the tragic line of succession deaths started happening. And so Jeremy's father was told by his family to pick up and relocate the family to Britain. They went, but then his father also fell victim to the tragic death cycle. And his mom hated London society. And Mm -hmm. she picked up her kid and she moved back to be with her parents. And then, as Meg said, when he hit the age that he needed to go to Eton, if he was going to be a duke known in society, his British aunt came and got him and brought him back. Mm -hmm. So you don't get a lot from him about his time in school. Mm, Yeah, you get a little bit. But you find out more like you you don't he doesn't relay stories of being picked on he doesn't ruminate on the experiences he had outside of Wedgford very much in the book his the thing that most clearly defined his life oddly enough is very clearly his time with his mother and his time in Wedgford mm-hmm. and so when he's self-reflecting in the book that's what he's thinking about but you do find out a little bit of his experiences in the British education system And he tells stories about that basically led him to conclude no matter what he did, he was never going to fit in. He was never going to meet the standard. There was, there was nothing he could do to have this, have finally attained acceptance without question. Well, and I think part of it too is at the time when Chloe said, look, I need you to be serious. Mm -hmm. He had a goal in mind. He's like, okay, I'm going to achieve this goal. And I'm going to go back to her and be like, see, I can be serious. I'm serious about you. And something happened and he wasn't able to achieve that. And I think that's what really sent him into this. Not a a spiral, but like uh, he really questioned everything that he had built his life on. Right. That, and, and it's sort of, the conflict at the center of the book that is presented in opposition to that is Jeremy's aunt very much wants him to marry a traditional English bride. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy even articulates in the text with the goal that then by the time his grandchildren were born, he and his mother and their Chinese ethnicity will have been erased. Basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That the fact that there is Chinese lineage in that ducal history Mm-hmm. would be a rumor more than a, a reality and a lived experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things Chloe's also cognizant of, that he might be half Chinese, but he's also the Duke. Right. And there are expectations placed upon him as a peer in English society. Yeah. But it's his resolution to this issue. And it's, I mean, really what it is, is it's this, he was, what I think happened was he was living with this cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. right? And then there was a, there was an event, this thing, this thing that I said, this goal that he had in mind that he wasn't able to achieve, um, that really shook him up. And I, it made me think of the Audre Lorde quote, uh, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And he had to really think, okay, what 
what do I want to do as a Duke, as a British Duke? Because I am a British Duke. Mm-hmm. What do I want to do with that power? Because I, he has some kind of power, mm-hmm. right? But he has a vote in the House of Lords. Right. Um, what does he want to do with it? What can he do with it? How can he do it? Is it important to work within the system? Well, and the other thing he recognizes that he has is money. Yes. Which is less tied in the system, but not wholly disassociated from it. Right. And I just really, really liked his decision. And it took him three years away. I mean, this was... This was the catalyst for his three years away from Chloe. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to do, he had to figure out if if I if being serious doesn't mean this, what does it mean? How can I be serious about her? What can I do? Uh, and I think he has to decide that before he can go back. And he does, and that's what this book is about. And it's just really, really great. Well, and it's interesting because ultimately, what it is is it's a critique of systemic racism. Oh yeah, but because it's not modern America and the arguments aren't over reparations, a colonialist past, modern policing, like, I'm sure plenty of people could read this and not confront that. But I really liked his, the cognitive, cognitive dissonance he experiences as a man of color with power and privilege. Mm-hmm. and how the power and privilege does not erase that he is first seen as a man of color. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So friggin' well done. Ugh. And like, I, mean, I feel like I've been harping on this really serious stuff for a while because that's really what struck us as so innovative. But the bottom line is this whole book is hilarious and fun and romantic and cute. Like, I just praised it because we just gave a lecture that never happens in the book. Yeah. All of those conclusions are so subtly woven into the text. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about, uh, we, we have talked about this in, in other books about like stealth feminism. So I think we talked about it actually in um, the Lady Sherlock books yep. a little bit. And um, we talked about it in um, Bujold's books a little bit. And also with um, Elizabeth Peters. But interestingly, but it, everything you've just ra- named is books we reviewed as part of romance adjacent, not as part yeah. of yes. traditional mm-hmm. romance. It's true. It's true. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, it's just really, it's just really well done. And like Lane says, that's what is unique about this novel. And okay, guys, it sounds like this is super serious, but this book is hilarious. It's like really funny as well. Okay, so the best way we can do this is by discussing only one room at the end. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Okay. We're skipping trigger warnings. I mean, the, the content warning for this book is um, that it discusses systemic racism in a very serious way. Uh, you should not let that put you off of the book because um, it's really well done. Uh, and it's a part of the our hero's lives. I am someone who, when I'm in, like, in a tough headspace, I intentionally gravitate toward media that just makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And that often means not reading romance novels I like that have sexual trauma of some right. kind. You know, you guys know that's not what I gravitate to, but I do have some I like that even when I want to, like, feel silly, I can't read those. Nothing about this book is so triggering that I feel like I'd ever be in a headspace where I couldn't read it. Yes. 
I that, that's the way I'd put it. Like it deals with some pretty serious issues, but there are no incidents that are hard to read. Agreed. Yeah. There's there's nothing. God, this is awful. There's nothing difficult to process. Yeah. In the text. Uh, let's let's talk. Okay, we haven't talked a ton about Chloe. So Chloe is. We've talked about like where she grew up and her ethnic background. Um, but the other thing to know about Chloe, I said that she was like uptight and he was laid back, but she basically is the kind of person who makes lists and like loves checking things off of the lists. I really, I, I, I would, I would love to be that person. I'm not that person, <laughs> but have you ever seen my book, a list Meg? Cause here's my book, a list. I was going to say, but I do know people who do have these lists Lane. I, I think that what we I think what both of us have in common with Chloe is that we have goals and that we both want to achieve those goals. So Chloe is similar to us in that way. She's um, very productivity oriented in a way. Yes. That are. Yes. She's very action oriented. Yeah. <laughs> Outward action oriented. Um, but um, I was going to say something else about Chloe. Oh, yeah. She is an older than him. How could like, you forget? That I was going to say, because you know I love this trope. She's, I, we didn't put under tropes. She's, um, but I mean, she's like three years older, so it's not that much older, but still, she's older than him. They're both in their early 20s. Yeah, so he's only like, what, 23, 24? Uh-huh. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she's like 26. So, I mean, it's a, it, let's be honest, it's a great age to fall in love. <laughs> Is that when you... I was married. I was married at 24. (laughs) Um, So it was great. But anyway, I just thought I would mention that. Um, I, I also think, so we all know that there are those heroines who are too stupid to live. And those are the ones who don't realize when the, their husband or their, you know, the person who's been courting them, that the list that you're trying to make, you're the bride you're trying to find for them. They don't figure it out that it's actually about them. And Chloe's, she's not an idiot. She figures it out, like, pretty soon after that. She's like, so... Well, he also doesn't give her a list of qualities. He says specifically the list should have all of your qualities. Yeah, yeah. He's less subtle than normal. He's less subtle than normal, but I could I could have seen in a less deft author's hands her not figuring it out for a while. Yeah. But Milan is like, no... Um, Chloe is a smart person. <laughs> She's yeah. not going to be fooled for long by this, even if she wants to delude herself. Like, even her powers of self-delusion are not strong enough <laughs> to overcome her native intelligence. I will just say that. Anyway, I, um, I love Yeah, that. it's pretty good. I love Chloe so much. Well, what I also love is that there's a moment where it's flipped, where she starts describing him, and it takes him so long to pick up on it compared to Mm -hmm. her. It's really perfect. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is there's no, like, she's never too stupid to live, and she, like, totally kicks his butt in many ways. And he knows it, and he loves that about her. And not in, like, not in a desire to tame her, control her, calm her down. He, it's not even when it's not that offensive. Like it's not a recognition that she needs his levity in her life. Like he doesn't see himself as adding much to her, mm-hmm. other than oh. like loving her. Totally. He's like, I don't. I do not deserve her. 
basically. Yeah. And that's like, that's the kind of hero that we love. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about uh, only one room at the inline. I love this so much, so much. Okay. So obviously they've um, been hanging out every day while she helps him pick a wife list and he helps her um, prepare her revenge. He helps her basically do everything on her list. Yeah, check off her list as part of her giant revenge scheme. Yeah. And they've had a couple of interludes of flirtation, some light kissing, but ultimately, because they've both been so busy, there hasn't really been the chance to deal with a lot of the th- emotions that have been brought up, their shared history, all of that stuff. And he's lying about who he is. And so he has sort of made the decision that he's not going to tell her everything until after the town event is done. Right. Because he knows how much she has going on. But because um, something pops up and they have to run an errand to, that, that has to happen in London. They don't have time to get to London. So they decide they're just going to go like to the next outpost town, basically. Yeah. And one of his servants will meet them there with what they need. But I love how I love how too he's like trying to hide how many servants he's having. He's like, one of my people will yep. do this for me. <laughs> She's like, uh-huh, your people, okay. Yeah. And obviously they first of all have to share a horse. So proximity, proximity, proximity. They emotionally really open up to each other on this trip. And this is where, without totally fessing up, he tells her why he didn't come back for three mm-hmm. years. And then she tells him, I think if there's only one room at the end, we should share it. Yeah. And he's like, there's never only one room at the end. And she's like, but, but what if there is? And I love this because what she says is, I would like to be prepared for fate. Yes. <laughs> like, not, not verbatim, but conceptually. Yeah. And she's basically like planning out the maybes. And it's just so funny and flirtatious. And they're having this really, like, open and honest conversation. But they're just so perfect for each other that the yeah. way that they diffuse the tension while without dismissing the other's point is so sweet. And there is a little, there's an accident that, you know, results in them being on top of each other. And he's like, oh, no, she's on top of me. I can't. Yeah. And it's <laughs> and, and the other thing I love about the Only One Room at the Inn is that in many novels, like, there really is only one room at the inn, and then they, like, try not to look at each other. They try not to look at each other. They try not to, like, be close to each other, and they just can't resist, and blah, blah, blah. But it's sort of an accident, right? It's an accident. We didn't mean to do it. It just happened. What I love about this book is that Chloe... There are no accidents, and it, Chloe is the one who makes it happen. And there are I no coincidences. Love there it. Are, like, it, this book is really deliberate. Yes. In every way, and I loved it. It was so good. It was so good. So it was sexy. There's another thing that you should know about this book, and maybe why Meg was particularly into Jeremy. <laughs> so Jeremy may have been pining for Chloe his entire life, forever and yes he is a virgin hero now is this book super sexy i mean it this is courtney milan sexy 
If you've heard us talking about her books before, you'll know that there's usually one pretty sexy scene and then there may be another sex scene, but it's not usually like super explicit. And I would say it follows the same pattern. Yeah, this book is definitely cute sexy. Yes. It's not just cute, it's cute sexy. Yes. <laughs> right? This yes. is way more about them resolving past differences, coming to an understanding, and helping each other achieve goals through partnership while yes. wanting to put their mouths on each other. Yes. Then it is purely a lust-filled, oh my god, how do I not touch you all the time? Yeah. Although that's there. It's there, it's just at the point. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that fair? That's fair. Uh, I mean, basically, we uh, we both just adored this book. Like, if we could give it more than five stars, we could. Like, this book is not to be missed. Seriously. Um, it's self-published, so I know it's available on Amazon mm -hmm. as an ebook. Uh, but my understanding is that Courtney Milan has a pretty wide dispersal and has been self-publishing for a while. So I'm sure you can track it down. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Amazing. Like, this book is really good, guys. There was, it's, it checked all of our boxes. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. And if it sounds like your tastes align with ours, you should get this book, like, immediately. It's such a good time. If you're a, it's like a, the perfect fall book. Yeah. Like, picturing a serene English village doing this quaint country thing, and there's lots of really great descriptions of food, because your father's a chef, and it just, it's the coziest book. Oh my god, how much did you want to eat that food? I wanted to eat all of the food that her father made. Except for the food he made for Jimmy. Well, yeah, but that was... I wanted to eat the food he made for Chloe. <laughs> yeah. I would be his loved, beloved daughter. Yes. <laughs> In this scenario where he was eating food. <laughs> um, so thank you guys so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe. Bye.